There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the second season of the Lead with Empower podcast keeps rolling along. I am joined this evening by uh, a fine gentleman I met, I think back in 2016, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but Dr. Terrell Hill, he is the Assistant Superintendent of Human Resources at Windsor Public Schools. He's also the founder and president of Black Leaders and Administrators Consortium, Inc. And we'll get into that a little bit more. I've gotten to know Dr. Hill over the years. When I first met him, he wasn't quite Dr. Hill yet. That happened pretty quickly in the relationship, but uh, really excited to have you on tonight, Dr. Hill. How are you? And thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Dan. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And unfortunately, due to COVID, we didn't get to hang out in August, you know, and do the zip lines. But, you know, anyway, I can get to talk to a great dude like you. It, it works for me. I appreciate it. And yeah, I definitely missed, uh, missed the group. We've done, I looked at it, looked back, this would have been year, I think five, year five in a row of working with the, uh, the new, the new teachers in Windsor Public Schools as part of their orientation program. And unfortunately, that was on the long list of kind of recurring groups we didn't get to see this year with COVID. But, right. uh, Glad to hear you're doing well. And hey, hey, we'll we'll got, get right into it. You're up in uh, Windsor Public Schools. Just based on, you know, the uh, a couple weeks in, how would you say the year's going up there so far uh, from the the you know the student standpoint, from the teacher standpoint, as the assistant superintendent? So I, I think a lot of work was done by our reopening committee um, over the whole summer. Like we met repeatedly, sometimes three times a week. Um, a mix of administrators, central office, building level, teachers, um, custodians, maintenance folks. So I think all that work and planning has paid off. So we are wrapping up our second week of school. Students, I think, have already gotten into the rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we have our students who, you know, they, they and their parents chose the distance learning model, which is yep. fine. We're prepared for that. Uh, our students are, we have one-to-one -one with devices in our district. Okay, so great. that is not an issue. And I think we worked out a ton of the bugs during the initial hit of the pandemic this past spring. <laughs> so yeah, like everyone got back. We're doing a hybrid model. So half our students, the ones who are coming in for in-person learning, they come in on Monday, Tuesdays. They're home Wednesday through Friday. The other half come in Thursday and Friday. Wednesday, of course, for the entire district is a distance learning yep. day. And the buildings are getting a deep cleaning great. by the custodial staff. So that's been the common that's been the common kind of structure, I think, for a lot of the public schools in Connecticut is that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday model. So um, from, a, from a leadership standpoint, I, this situation is different. And as you know, Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. One of my favorite <laughs> quotes, right? Um, you, you have this great plan and it, it never works out at, you know, exactly as you put it down on paper, right? There's always little things that you have to you know, kind of figure out, evaluate, and maybe make, you know, refinements and changes to the plan. From a leadership standpoint, though, and, and I'll have you touch on it from, 
the, your colleagues standpoint, and then also from a student standpoint, so far, two weeks in, what has impressed you most about how your colleagues have handled the situation and then how the students have handled this uh, unique situation? So with my colleagues, again, I'll just go right to everyone, right? Not just administrators, but the teachers, the custodial staff, maintenance, safety monitors, everyone, right? I think the overall attitude has been whatever we need to get this done, we're going to get this done, right? And a, a guy that's all about team and, you know, military veteran, that's big for me, particularly in the Army. You learn that, right? Like, we're all in. Yeah. Whatever we need to do, you know, no one stays back and says, oh, that's not my job, right? You do whatever needs to be done for the group. And I believe that that's been, like, the prevailing attitude that I've seen, and I've appreciated that. Um, people have just stepped up. Even the folks who were, like, quite honestly, initially nervous yep. about coming back to work, um, we, we assured them of, you know, in my role, HR, I had to speak to all of them. Yep. <laughs> so I assured them that they would be safe with the, the PPE that we were purchasing and providing and the uh, level of cleaning and the added uh, custodial staff to ensure, like, not just a deep clean on Wednesdays, but the, you know, more thorough cleaning even nightly and during yep. the day as we had, we've added more people. So that's been impressive. Um, the flexibility that folks have shown and, you know, changing their ideas and goals of things they wanted to actually do, knowing that we're in a slightly different year. So you got to do things differently. Yep. So that's, that's been impressive. Also um, students, like I just think students have come back, which I had no doubt, right? I'm, I'm a lover of kids, particularly teens. That was my area, high yep. school. Um, <laughs> they'll fuss a little bit in the beginning, but they know what they got to do and they just do it. So I watch my own, my youngest, my last one here in the house. She started high school uh, last week. So I can't believe it. My little baby girl's in ninth grade. Um, <laughs> she goes to school for her two days. This morning was, you know, Wednesday. So she was uh, home as my wife and I are, you know, making our coffee and teas and getting ready to leave. She's in the dining room already because obviously class starts before I'm going to the office. There's <laughs> a reason when I stopped being a teacher and a principal at the That's middle right. level, yo, I don't need to be up. I don't want to see no sixes or nothing talking about good morning. But, <laughs> so I'm like looking over in the dining room. She got her headset on, plugged into the laptop, and she's, she's engaged in her first block class. Um, she knows this is the second week. She's doing what she got to do. So... Uh I met your daughter a few years ago when she was at Sage Park, I believe. Yep, yep you did. And I, w I received an email, take care of my little girl. And I said, I got gotcha. you. We're good. <laughs> but uh, I, I fired an email back later that day that she outperformed you in every team building challenge we Probably. did. That Probably. was a shared challenge. The one that we did with the, the new teachers and one we did with the students she was like three for three outperforming you, so let her know. <laughs> I, I, I just need to let you know, full disclosure, I didn't want to show my skills off too much to the new teachers. Like, I kind of I held back just so I could build their confidence. That's all. All right, good story. Good story. <laughs> <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to that's it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you touched on it. So, last, last uh, at the end of last school year, you know, March, you know, 12th or 13th, whatever the date was, everything just stops. And that almost served as, you know, like your spring training or your preseason for what's happening now in schools. The, a phrase that's thrown around a ton in the corporate world and in leadership is like change, change management, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
that that was a change management situation for everybody involved in schools, administrators, uh, you know, people in the building, students, et cetera. Looking back on it, and you've had a bunch, you know, a handful of months to reflect on it. From, again, a leadership standpoint, what were some of the leadership challenges the district faced? And give us some insight as to how you worked to work through, around, over, under those challenges to, you know, survive the spring, but also set the, set the stage for a successful fall. So I believe understanding that no one had the answers, mm -hmm. right? Um, schools by nature are very conservative and repetitious institutions. Um, and I often, when I, I talk and, you know, when I'm giving speeches, whatever the case may be, but I often reference my army experience and military uh, background. And because I learned, I learned it was so impactful, right? And I carry those lessons every day. So while I didn't have to exist in uncertainty during my you know, so far 27 years of education, um, I could immediately switch over to that, that mode. Mm -hmm. So operating with so much uncertainty around you. And so I knew like in the immediate, there were so many people getting upset and I found myself trying to be that guy. And, and you know, I can be high strung, so, <laughs> but I'm, I'm like <laughs> laughing because I'm finding myself to be the guy Hey, relax. Yeah. Like it, it's it's gonna be okay, right? And I'm I'm laughing because I'm like I'm usually a guy like what we gotta get this fixed. <laughs> so, but I just realized that there was really in the immediate there was nothing anyone could do. Um, the information we were getting from the top, whether it's the state or the nation, it was not great. Yep. The state actually got itself into gear very fast. So you know I will easily say I have been impressed with you know our governor and and the leaders. Yep. You know, I'm not impressed above the state level. I'm just gonna leave that right there. Yeah, we, um, yeah, that that's a that's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's another <laughs> that's, that's another episode. You might have to invite a few people on that. <laughs> but you know, but I, I appreciate our governor, um, like the our education commissioner, uh, Dr. Miguel Cardona, um, the, the deputy commissioners, you know, Desi Nesmith, and uh, Dr. Char uh, Charlene Russell Tucker, and 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 all the rest of the folks, right? Like they don't know. They didn't know, right? Like no one goes to school and you take, you know, school finance, school personnel, um, school counseling, organizational development. Oh, I'm taking this one, pandemics one-on-one, right? Yeah, there's you don't, no, no playbook. You know, right. There, there is no book for that one, right? You're just trying to make it happen. And this is a situation, that's why I said, well, I pulled on my military experience because yes, if we make bad decisions or poor decisions in the military without really thinking through, you know, scenarios, you could ultimately have people lose their lives. Yep. So this, while no one was actually shooting, there's no hostile environment in that sense, you know, you're, you're fighting an enemy you can't see, right? That you've never fought before. And if you make wrong decisions, so as I saw a lot of leaders across district superintendents, all like basically huddling up on a regular basis on these kinds of calls, trying to like, what are you doing? What are you doing, right? <laughs> Everyone was waiting, you know, uh, and I get it. I, you know, I, I made some comments like, come on, somebody got to make a decision. Yeah. But I understand no one wanted to make the wrong decision and see someone lose a family member, yeah. be it a child or a staff member. You know, you just don't want to see it. So, you know, we're, we're in the business of protecting young people in particular. And as leaders, you know, in a school system, you not only protect young people, you protect your staff as well. Yeah. Because 
you're responsible for everyone you yeah. know that is in your your care so like i said initially i saw a lot of just don't, we don't know what to do a lot of fear in people's eyes a lot of worry you know um even the other one i saw a lot of denial and i'm not talking about again from the top <laughs> down the road in dc <laughs> but a denial of just people around you like oh it's just like this until you know even myself i don't think i thought it was as bad not denying it as a pandemic but april was tough i lost five loved ones including family members oh, all within a two-week period in april it was sorry it, to hear that it yeah. was like boom 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 it just you know you lose friends your age right and it's like so my friends are you know late 40s to late 50s yeah and you know you lose folks like that, like, you know, they were 53, they were 54, they were 49. Too much what? life left, yeah, too much yeah, life left. Like, so this is not a joke. Yeah. It's not a joke. And, you know, I had to keep telling myself that it's not a joke. And when administrators would get upset, you know, eventually as the school year ended in June, teachers got to fade away. And I hope many of them, like, let their minds wander and have a good time or as much as they could in the summer. The administrators simply have to be around but we had to keep telling them in meetings. They were not happy not having clear answers. Yep. And we we're like, we don't have clear answers for you. We expected open school one way. And I can tell you up until like the second week of August, we had a plan and then it changed. <laughs> so it's like things change, right? Yep. And, if, and we're tracking, I'm responsible for tracking, you know, COVID cases in the school and all that. So if something happens there and we see a, a spike or something, we're gonna to have to make some different decisions. Yeah. So yep. it's, it's it is very much like a military situation in terms of dealing with the uncertainty, or I like to say, you know, being prepared to deal with uh, various scenarios. Yeah. And then yeah, and then making decisions to mitigate the risk as much as you possibly can. So right. as you mentioned, in in education, in uh, you know, even like the the youth uh, recreation, you're you're in the youth development business, and it's about you know protecting them and helping them develop, not putting them in harm's way. Correct. All right, so things are going well. Learning experience in the spring for everybody involved in education, and 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 really beyond that, what's you know, and I think you and I are alike in this in this frame of mind. Like every situation, good, bad, ugly, there's something you can take from it and learn from it. What's something you hope the the students, because we're in the youth development industry here. What's something you hope the students can look back on and, you know, say 10, 15 years down the road and say, didn't realize it then, but I'm a better person now because of it, because of this whole uh, COVID situation. I would say getting comfortable with, I just keep saying the same thing, getting comfortable with the unknown. Mm -hmm. Right. I know a lot of young people, you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And, and we adults, we forget and we get stupid and go, you should know at 17 exactly what you want to do. Right. It's, None so of us knew. <laughs> I think, I, right. I think we hit a reset button and realize, stop lying to ourselves. No one knows. Um, but you don't know. And, and also, I hope that, you know, because I know many of the young people also experience people being sick, people dying, like mm -hmm. things that just happen. Right, and if, if it's not anyone close to them, uh, I believe in six degrees of separation. Like there are people that they know somebody that knows somebody, yeah. and they're like, "Wow, right?" Because you see, and we've even seen young people lose their lives. Yeah. So just getting a being more appreciative of the uncertainty of life. Yeah. Right, and not so that you become afraid and frozen in life, but that you 
you understand when it's time to put away childish things in certain situations. Yeah. If I, you know, I don't want to start preaching, but you know, <laughs> it's like you can't have fun every minute of the day, mm-hmm. right? There's some you have to plan for things, right? There are scenarios to different things in life, but you still can have fun. But it's just not fun all the time. People are not here to entertain you. And school actually has a purpose. I think the kids realize just how much they appreciate school. Yeah, and that that was a surprising thing was, uh, you know, as uh, we got into the summer and we started to get to work with some groups again, to hear kids talk about, I can't wait to go back to school. I can't, like, that social development, which is so important. They, they truly miss it and crave it. Um, and it's great. It's great to hear that things are rolling off to a good start up there in Windsor. It's a great district, great schools, great people. I've gotten to know them both from the administrative level and then from the uh, the student level as well. Again, Thank the you. students, Thank you. the students generally outperform the adults in my personal experience. But we'll leave it at that. So, I'll have, I'll have <laughs> like I told you, we gotta let them look good. That's right. <laughs> All kidding aside, there. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned earlier, we met in 2016. We put together uh, a team building event that included some on the ground activities, some zip lining, high ropes type activities for the new teachers as part of their orientation. And we even did an event with the, the district-wide leadership team back in 2018. Um, I remember one of our first conversations I had mentioned to you, yeah, a lot of the teacher groups don't zip line because of X, Y, and Z trying, you know, I guess getting into the sales mode a little bit and, and your response, and I don't have a direct quote was something along the line of, well, it's safe. Right. And I said, yeah, you know, we have all these protocols in place and well, let's, let's get people out of their comfort zone. Right. It's a, a big part of why I'm doing this type of event. What in your, in your opinion, your mind as a leader, what are like the benefits of doing, you know, some an experience like that with a group of educators, whether they're new teachers or veterans, you know, prior to the start of that nine month journey, we call a school year. So I, again, and it's probably gonna sound like a repetitive thing here, that military experience, right? Cause that's what we had to do, basic training. Yep. It was a whole lot of getting you out of your comfort zone <laughs> and, and not just the 10, 15 miles, right? <laughs> but, you know, uh, the confidence courses and, you know, the various things you had to do, because it requires you, when you get out of your comfort zone, I believe that's when you learn the mm-hmm. most, right? Everyone can feel good. So I was in college, I had a 4.5 GPA. Okay, so how does your GPA help you when you get in front of a class of 20, 25 kids and they're all looking at you like you're melting butter on a wall, right? <laughs> Your GPA is not gonna help you right there. Nope. You're gonna, you're gonna need a personality you're going to need to feel uncomfortable and you're going to need to be able to dig into a bag of tricks, which you do not have day one. No. Your bag grows over time. But if you're able to deal with the discomfort of that moment, I believe for the teachers, speaking of in their roles right now, you you do better. You become a better teacher, right? And, and I also have a biased uh, purpose for all this. So we, you know, anyone that's even around education who would say they're not aware of the disparities in discipline with uh, students of color yep. versus white students, I would say they're lying. Yep. Um, so when I watch and I've been doing this long enough and I've been a school leader long enough to know the black and white kid can do exactly the same thing. Teachers going to respond differently. So I want people to understand. So when that kid 
is like, <laughs> like, because they're sucking their teeth, you know, or they say another damn F. Yeah. They're not cussing you out. No, they shouldn't be swearing. But does that mean send them to the principals? They should be suspended and they need detention? Or is that an opportunity for you to say, you know what? I, I recall being frustrated. Mm-hmm. I, I know when I, I was challenged, right? Like I tried to cross that zip line bridge, like <laughs> Indiana Jones ran across it. And he was old when he did the movie. And I'm like, why am I all wobbly at 22, right? But eventually I did it. And you know why I did it? Because my teammates were cheering me on and I decided within myself, if nothing else, I'm getting down from here, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> right? so being uncomfortable, I believe it, it gives you the foundation for taking on greater risk and, and opportunities later on. Yep. So you, cause you're used to it. You're like, if I did that, then I know I could do this. Yep. That's my, that's my belief behind that. And it's something you can read about equity in the classroom and you can read about these best practices. But at the end of the day, if you don't have an experience that really puts you in the shoes, right. Puts you in the shoes of a kid that, Maybe because of skin color or, or or different sex, you you can't necessarily or there's not an immediate connection with. Right. It, it'll it gives you that ability to say, hey, maybe this child's uncomfortable just because of this, and through some relationship development, some social skills, the connections formed, and there's less teeth sucking and and f bombs getting dropped because there's a mutual understanding, I guess. Right, and 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 in, even even if you can't. Because I tell people, you can't never really understand somebody's, you know, the shoes they're walking in. Mm-hmm. Um, you can empathize, but it's learning is all about connections, right? Yep. You don't need to know this bit of information, but if you can connect it to something that you've learned previously or experienced previously in your life, it's a greater likelihood that you will be able to learn it and, you know, grasp that information. So when you want to talk about people understanding difference and, uh, lack of comfort right so and i've asked i've been in situations where i've asked white people like so how many times have you been the only one in a room Mm -hmm. you know when when have you ever had to speak for your entire race yeah right and the ones who don't get defensive and silly like they they actually step back and they think about it like you know what i never have to um even even of late you know which is very pertinent to me is not new for me in my life but it's very pertinent, right? I, my mom was a police officer in Springfield when I came of age, 16, to start driving. And I was given the talk, right? And every person of color, I've done work, diversity work with police departments, military, DPWs, fire departments. And I said, how many of you in here have ever had the talk? I've never dealt with a group where the people of color in that group did not raise their hand. Yeah. And I've never had a group when I didn't have a bunch of white people in the group go, what are they talking about? So when you and I, you know, I tell folks all the time, so I'm a well-educated person. I'm not complaining about my salary. Um, I know where I live. I know what my home looks like. I know what my cars look like. But I don't, when I go out of my house, I still have a certain level of fear. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to encounter police. Right? I'm not a scary dude, but those encounters more often than not they become really bad encounters for folks of color particularly males of color yeah i'm like we can't deny that and if it continues to happen as it does 
we need to face the fact that it's an issue. Yeah. And it's a systemic issue. So all those things to me, like we can teach a lot of that, you know, in education, how you deal with people. So I know maybe you never think of your zip lines that deep, but again, I'll go back to when you're uncomfortable here in a safe space, I call it, mm -hmm. then you're probably at a greater likelihood to appreciate when someone else is uncomfortable. And then I think you can act in a more empathetic fashion. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, and again, I, I can't speak to, you know, being a black male and getting into a car, but as far as like the, the, the end and, and, and having that thought in the back of your head of what happens if, right. That, and I, I will validate it from my standpoint is yeah, I never, never really had that thought. Um, but I, but from the adventure standpoint of seeing people who tell themselves they can't or make, make some sort of, I hate to, I, I'm going to use excuse, make an excuse, be, you know, oh, I have a, a nagging ankle injury and that's kind of the, the, the cop out to put themselves in that spot of, I will be uncomfortable. I will be scared. I will be fearful, anxious, whatever the word is. And, um, but I've also seen for, you know, 20 years, people take it on, get through it, as you mentioned, uh, you know, based on their own you know, mental fortitude and, and physical aptitude and the support of their teammates and look back and say, oh my goodness, I did it. Uh, <laughs> I, I got through it. And it may be some, for some people, it takes a little bit longer to have that realization once right. the nerves and the shaking stops. <laughs> when it's all over, it's, you know, as people say all the time, it's, it's never as bad as you thought it was. I've grown to believe that. I didn't mm -hmm. believe that early on, but no, it, it's, it's never as bad as you thought it was because mm -hmm. you're still alive. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the worst crazy. case scenario did not happen. You're good. Right, right. <laughs> if you're talking and people around you actually hear you and that's good. That means you're yep. alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And it, I, I missed it this year and I, I hope uh, knock on wood that will be, uh, you know, August 21, we'll be back on schedule because it's always a great group. And anytime we get to share time with you and, and the team, it's always a pleasure. So that would be nice. <laughs> so, hey, we're going to we're going to reverse tracks a little bit right here. You're uh, I'm a Springfield guy. Uh, I guess I would call it my second home. I spent 10 years or so out of my 40 uh, in Springfield, Mass. You're a graduate of the High School of Commerce. Give us a little Class insight. Class of 86, baby. Class of 86. I wasn't going to bring it up, you know? I'm bringing it up. <laughs> Part of my class. We got number love for each other. Class of 86. <laughs> oh, man. Get, give, uh, give the listeners a little insight into your journey from uh, a high school graduate in 86 to now, uh, you know, serving as a super uh, assistant superintendent of human resources up in Windsor. So, like I said, graduate from high school of commerce. Um, I I did a semester at STCC out of college, yep. and only a semester. School was not difficult, but for me, I just was personally hurt mm -hmm. because I felt like I worked so hard all those years through school. I had great grades and did everything. Um, I will say this because I have no problem critiquing in my field. I don't think the counseling was the best, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm very hard on school counselors, and they know it because I expect a lot out of them. Um, so like no one in my family had completed a bachelor's degree. So 
they could only give me what they the information they knew. Yeah. And you know, whereas like I know now, like to 27 years into this game, like I should have had a, a bunch of scholarships to a bunch of places. I should have been presented so many opportunities to go to so many different schools. Even if I end up going, you know, locally, Springfield College, AIC, like whatever. Yeah. Like my counselors didn't do they didn't do that work. Like I when I look back on it, like we had to do our own work. Or the kids whose families already had college educated people, like they knew more. I didn't. I, I wasn't aware support. of that information. Yeah. Like I remember being told, oh, the SATs are tomorrow. And I'm <laughs> like, oh man. Like it's just no one told me about SAT prep. Nothing. It just, yeah, that part leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. So, um, but I, I did a semester and I felt like, you know, I told my parents, like my mom was ready to mortgage the, the farm for me to go off to school. Like I said, nope, you know what? I always been the guy to do it myself. Um, so my stepdad was like, yeah, that's what he wants to do. I, I said, I took the ASVAB test and I scored high enough to get any job I want. Yeah. So, I go into commerce, obviously I love business and yep. money. So I said, I'm going to go into personnel and finance, you know, and I can start taking college classes while I'm in the army. And then they're going to pay me money to go to school when I get out. Yep. So I had a plan. So I, I, that first semester, fall 86, I was at STCC, January 5th, 1987. I flew to Fort Knox, Kentucky for basic training. <laughs> So believe it or not, that was my first time on a plane. Is that right? It is. I rode right. a lot of Greyhounds and Trailways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but had never been on a plane, you know, so 18 years old on a plane, flying to, you know, I just remember being so excited, you know, leaving um, Bradley. Yeah. And, you know, we did our first pit stop in Pittsburgh. I was like, just looking out the window, um, and then we landed in Louisville, Kentucky, and then we got on a bus to go 50 miles to the gate of Fort Knox. And yep, it's very much like, not these newer movies, but, you know, Officer and the Gentleman, those kind of movies, yeah. like Full Metal Jacket, very much like that. Like, <laughs> somebody is immediately talking about you, your mama, your grandmama, your cousins, like everybody. You're the ugliest, da-da-da, you fat son of a da-da-da. <laughs> so, it's 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 immediate, right? I laugh because what my hero and Shiro and everyone everywhere I give a speech or a talk, people say you won't talk to him for more than five minutes without hearing about his mom. Like that's my hero. Mom, you know, Gail Hill is a tough lady, love her to yeah. death. So her three boys, like you, you just not gonna shake me up. Yeah. You know, talking trash. My mom could talk trash or play the dozens way better than you, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> my mother so it's different when somebody don't know you call you ugly if your mama call you ugly you must be ugly right <laughs> so, you're getting the the right. truth 100 percent there right so if mom ain't breaking me down like that then i'm i don't really care what you say and uh yes yeah, so i did basic training you know lots of challenges i learned that i am absolutely not a lover of running so, <laughs> so, so i always said you know I remember the first diagnostic test we did, we had to run around the motor pool, right? Two times around the motor pool was two miles. <laughs> and I'm like the last guy coming in. So like now I think the sun was starting to set. <laughs> <laughs> so I come up, whew. Joe Sarge said, Hill. I said, yes, Joe Sarge. He's like, next time call a cab. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, now 100 yard sprint, 
Dan, I gotta say, I hold my own against most of them dudes in the unit. But distance is not your thing. And he's like, yo, how would you run for the police back when you was on the streets selling that wacky weed? I was like, what is wacky weed? Right? All them country analogies. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, not wacky. You probably joined the military to get away from going to jail. I said, um, do a sergeant. No, and my mother is a detective on the Springfield, Massachusetts Police Department. So don't sell wacky <laughs> weed, and I ain't running from the police, and my dad works for Pratt Whitney in East Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah. So let's, I, I don't I don't know what movie you're trying to fit me into. Clearly you can say I had a sarcastic mouth. Yeah, so that made me have incredible biceps at the end of those 10 weeks because I did push-ups beyond push-ups. And they would make me do push-ups outside the mess hall window. Oh, so remember, I went in January, so it was like freezing cold snow in, in the mountains in Kentucky, and you doing push-ups and smelling all that good food. So it, it, was, it, was, it was rough, but you learned a lot about yourself, right? You had to handle, you know, situations. You had to meet new people from all over the country. Yeah. And, you know, um, in the U.S. territories. So you had to learn how to maneuver the, the drill sergeants, right? Yep. They didn't hate you. They just had to build you up, you know, tear you down first to get rid of the old you and build you up so that you are ready to survive the worst possible situations and in the in the at the same time look out for your fellow soldiers yeah so um but i i remember on the last day at graduation you know we did the parade and everything and we're sitting around waiting to get on our various buses or get brought to the airport because you're now going to your ait yep. just to learn your job and i was going up to indianapolis with some other soldiers we waiting for our bus and drill sergeant said yo hill i want to ask you something i said yes drill sergeant he said all we did to you, man, you never broke down. And that's when I did tell him, I said, you never met Gail Hill. <laughs> like, that? Said, that's my mom. So it's like, yo, you ain't got nothing on my mama. So I'm good. And they just like, wow, she must be incredible. And um, I went to Indianapolis AIT, did my job. It was great up there. That was, that's more like being in college, right? You're on yep. campus. You're just going every day to get training in your job. I did personal finance. So that was cool. And then I, I was flown my first duty. I went to um, West Germany. So oh, wow. Frankfurt, West Germany. It was, that's why I wanted to be stationed. It was in my contract because I had older cousins who had come back from Germany. And they had, you know, I'm in high school and they tell me all these great stories. I'm like, I go in the military, I'm going to Germany. So <laughs> I got it in my contract because of my scores and I don't regret it. It was one of the most incredible experiences ever. So from May 87 until December 89, I was in Frankfurt, West Germany. Wow. And I traveled. Yes, the Autobahn is just a highway, but I did 130 miles an hour with these cars, <laughs> going to clubs all over. Like, it just, I, I was one of the guys that wanted to see and meet people. So, you know, um, I had friends, they're like, you just go off by yourself, that's dangerous. I would just go to the Bahnhof, the train station, pick a destination, and go there and yep. spend the day there. And my German you know, was pretty good after a while. Sit in the center of town, meet some old guys, talk, eat some sandwiches, drink some beers. You know, sometimes I got invited to people's homes for a meal and then get back on the train and come back home to the base. Like, I was my three, like, I got to know so much. I got to grow up. I took classes at night. So, you know, I earned a lot of college credits. Yeah. Because um, I'm a reader. So people like, why are you going to college now? They got the GI Bill when you get out. I said, because if you take classes while you're in, dummy, 
they pay 75% of tuition, which is already reduced on a base. Yep. So I'm paying $100, $150 a class which for a credit, credit course. Peanuts. So why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> you know, so I left there with 30 some credits and then I came back home uh, and started college. And, um, I was supposed to go to Howard University. So I spent the whole year, 1989, like the whole year, because there was no internet like that. It was mailing stuff. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, I, I had the GPA, everything. I got accepted to Howard University, a historically black college university in DC. So I was excited. I even flew home in August of 89, just to make sure everything was set. Went down there with my mom and my brothers and we toured and they said, oh, you're all set. So I got out December 89, just before Christmas, looked at my packet that came in the mail. I was like, this bill doesn't look right. Needs to say four hours on the phone, getting tossed around the whole campus from DC up to Massachusetts. And then somebody said, oh, you, we sorry, your packet, we had somebody else sign your packet, wrong person. So there's some woman, who uh, may hear this, named Terrell Hill, and she was from Michigan. I was from Massachusetts. She's a she, I'm a he. She was a junior and I was coming in as a sophomore. Oh, and, no. and I said, oh, you know, I just spent three years working in personal finance. And I'm like, that's not a problem. You call a person up, our mistake, right? One, she's not a veteran. So she should have got nothing in her package that included veteran benefits. Yep. And so I was thinking that, right? That's simple. They're like, oh, it doesn't work like that. So if you just pay the bill, you know, for your jan the spring semester, January to May, you know, then, you know, we'll have a credit for you for the fall next year, fall 1990. I said, let me get this straight. So you just blew everything. <laughs> a whole damn year worth of mailing and writing, right? I flew home a few months before I got out, which is not cheap just to fly from Europe. No. To make sure my stuff is in order because I'm a planner. You messed that up. Now I'm supposed to trust you to have my money next semester. I'll pass. I ain't going to say the words that I said after that, <laughs> but I never set foot on that campus by purpose for 25 years. Really? I was that pissed off. So I went to, you know, my mom said, well, you know, your cousin, who was a personnel director at STIC, STCC, she, she knows somebody up at uh, Westfield State. And I'm like, damn it, I went all the way around the world to come right back home. <laughs> so, I was mad getting into Westfield. Um, but I met Dr. Carlton Pickron, who is still my mentor to this day, you know, January 1990. And, you know, Westfield was a great experience for me. I know a lot of students, they're like, yo, you was like the maddest brother on campus. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, man, I had stuff on my mind. But <laughs> it was a great experience, right? I enjoyed my professors. I enjoyed the experience. Um, everyone that knows me know how much I love Westfield State. Uh, I even served almost eight years as a trustee. I just yep. came off the trustee board um, this past winter. And, you know, I know the presidency is open. I don't mind saying it over the airwaves. <laughs> that would be a dream come true to be the 21st president of my alma mater. Um, so finished Westfield, bad economy in New England in uh, 1992. So I got a job in Virginia. All my friends up here took substitute jobs. They want to stay close to home. I had been in the military in Europe. 
I had no problem traveling anywhere. Virginia's so, a piece of cake, too. I went to Virginia. Every state outside of the New England states offered me a job immediately at the job fair up in Boston. So I took Virginia. Wasn't too far away. Get a change of seasons, not a real winter. I was happy. <laughs> four great years there in Virginia. Still got great friends there to this day. Um, I, I would come home in the summers and teach at Westfield in the urban ed program. It's a summer okay. bridge program. Teach critical thinking. One summer home, my mentor, Carlton Pickron, introduced me to Dr. Uh, Bailey Jackson, who was the dean of the School of Ed at UMass Amherst. Long story short, asked me that I wanted to come home. I was doing a television program then down in Virginia, like, you know, um, maybe I ain't supposed to say his name now, but Bill Cosby, like the picture pages and stuff. So I yeah. taught math on television two nights a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, homework television, Newport News Public Schools. They own the channel. Really? It was a live show. So Mr. Hill, get on and has young kids in the audience. Oh, my goodness. It was cool, right? Homework television. So I did that for three years and they heard about it. And Bailey was like, I want you to do that UMass. So what do you want? I said, I want my doctorate. So I yep. came back to UMass and that was it. Did all that work and ended up in Connecticut schools and haven't looked back home to Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Connecticut kind of gets you with the money. Yep. So, you know, my career has moved. I'm, I thank God. You know, I've met some great people. Um, nothing's been easy, but I've met people who've definitely supported me along the way. And, you know, I was a teacher in Windsor Locks, only black teacher in the town at the time. Another great experience. Town treated me tremendously well. Um, still, you know, keep in touch with a number of the students. I call them my kids, even though they're grown people for real. <laughs> they're always going to be my kids. Same yep. as the kids in Virginia, right? They're like 40, 41. But they're still my kids when I go down there. I see them uh, on Facebook. They're my kids. <laughs> I went to Windsor High School in 2002. My first administrative job, vice principal. Seven years, fell in love with the town. Um, ended up you know, I was divorced when I came to Connecticut schools, but got remarried and uh, built a home in Windsor. And, nice. you know, I, I, I love the place and went to Hartford, started a school, High School Inc. and Insurance and Finance Academy, got worldwide acclaim, you know, in books, magazines. We just did some big things, working with all the major insurance and financial services companies in the Hartford area. Um, had annual travel to Europe, you know, London, the big financial market, like the New York City of Europe. Yep. Um, brought all those kids of color to Lloyd's of London. They had never seen that before. Oh my goodness. That's First year, they just stared at us. Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm walking around like, yo, we're all the black people, right? <laughs> one of my teachers said, still, I saw one, some black guy coming out of the kitchen. I was like, don't be funny. <laughs> yeah but we would visit the offices of our partners so like you know travelers the hartford um kpmg different org you know companies that were my partners for that high school here they had offices obviously in europe yep. so and my whole point was to expose students to stuff inner city kids from hartford expose them to stuff that they probably would never see yeah so they can ex they could aspire to it and many of them it worked you know they gone on to college and they work in the financial services and insurance industries. And now they travel to Europe on their own passport doing their thing, you know? Yep. So I'm very proud of them, right? It changes the trajectory of their family. That's and then right. I got the opportunity to come back to Windsor. I've never gone back to an employer. Tells you how much I love the town. <laughs> um, and I came back as assistant superintendent and I've been in that role six years, going on my seventh year now um, for HR. You know, so my motive is to diversify the staff and 
ensure we bring the best educators in the district, not just because I have children who've gone through, but other people's children. I treat yep. them like my children. So we're here. There it is. That brings us right to September of 2020. There you go. So I'm looking through, right? I, um, I was, I was uh, as I mentioned to you before we got started, I'm on the, the LinkedIn page and I'm also on uh, another website that you're involved in, which I'll get to in a second. Um, not a website, but a business. Um, but looking at your background, um, the I Need a Job program at UMass, which I thought was interesting um, that you were involved in. Uh, wow, did I tell you that? No. I did, wow. some I did some digging today, baby. Preparation is key. <laughs> oh, wow. You, yeah, 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 yeah. You did some digging, baby. You did. And, and you mentioned this earlier, but I had this on my list as well. Diversity sensitive, uh, sensitivity workshops in, uh, in Springfield with the PD. Yeah. Um, involvement in boards. Um, but the big one, and this is not that you're in your normal nine to five, I guess, per se, but you're the founder and president of Black Leaders and Administrators Consortium, Inc., BLAC, Black Inc. And I think I found it on their website. Whoever did your website, nice job. They had all your dirt on there. <laughs> I, just, I did the original one. So now I can't lie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I am not a web designer. So Quentin McDougall, um, somebody turned me on to this brother and... Yo, I love it too. Like it looks clean and crisp and businesslike. Awesome. So, so you spent, spent about a half hour on it today. The job, job very well done. So maybe that's where I found that little nugget. But tell us, so you touched on it earlier. Um, you were the only black teacher in Windsor Locks at the time. Um, you're talking about bringing the best educators in to work with the students and help these students develop. Give us, um, I guess, the backstory be, behind uh, you starting up and founding Black Inc. Okay, so that literally um, Black came out of my dissertation. So uh, I earned my PhD at UMass Amherst um, and officially it was conferred in February 2018. If people know the process, you know, you defend like pretty much like the year before, months yep. before. So, but long journey there just to get the dissertation. I thank God that I, I did that. But I did uh, my study on the career paths of black and white superintendents. And so I looked at um, black and white superintendent in Massachusetts and Connecticut and why I went to two states because the numbers are so horrible. Yep. So between the two states, there are over 500 school districts in Massachusetts and 169 in Connecticut. So between those two, right, a little less than 700 you're talking about, there were only six black superintendents. Yeah. So three in mass, three in Connecticut. And no one was talking about this. And I'm like, there's a problem here. Like we yep. do all this work. We go to the same college, we get the same certifications, taking the same tests and the same licenses. Why are we not moving? Like, like, are we just wholly dumber than everybody else? And so I came across in my own uh, career movement or lack thereof at times, you know, this, this constant, I call it a BS excuse, but I heard it over and over again. It's just not a good fit. Yeah. So you interview for a month, six weeks. And, you know, and I was like, I remember saying to one superintendent one time when he gave me that cracked answer, I was like, I was black six weeks ago. So why did it take you six weeks to say not a good fit? Yeah. Like, you know, tagging people along. So it, I, it just put a bad taste in my mouth. So I, I include that in my study. 
And I said, in order to see folks of color move, right, they're going to need to develop um, affinity groups beyond being within white structures of, you know, where we're the four black people or the four Hispanic people or the four women in this thing. They need to create their own group. And then with their collective skill and expertise and networks, build an organization that captures the respect of other folks. Yeah. So now I, I'm appreciative. It's nothing for superintendents in districts to call me up and say, hey, Terrell, I got this administrator opening you know, coming up. I would like some members from Black to apply. I love it. Like when we weren't even getting in the pipelines, like, because they know, the people who know me know, I, I don't mess around with mediocrity. Yeah. So you're in the organization. You know, we're still young. We're just two years old this month. Matter That's of fact, crazy. as of yesterday, I just, it, that made two years from the first time I had an interest meeting. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and we have over 60 members, uh, strong wow. organization, financially strong too. Yeah. Incorporated 501c3. Um, and we do, we do, um, in-house trainings and you know COVID hit like I said we haven't been around two years but the plan is to constantly you know have trainings so that we're constantly developing our members right yep. they're, you know they're already administrators some of them are still teachers they want to be administrators but um, we're constantly developing our members so to support each other and also to prepare them for various jobs and the other piece of that is we got to get folks of color out of that thinking that I'm only good enough to be an administrator in districts that are predominantly, you know, filled with students of color. Because yep. society teaches you that, right? Oh, if you're black, you should be with the black kids. If you're yep. Hispanic, you should be with Hispanic kids. You know, and you know, my silly self, I don't know how to shut up. I'm all, you know, I remember saying to a superintendent one time, like, so how come white boys are always qualified to work with any group of kids? Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's sort of like all lawyers can be politicians. Like, who, who said that that was a good mix? <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I just, again, that's the influence of that lady again. Like you said, dude, there goes that lady again, Gail Hill. It's like, don't sit back and complain about a problem. She told her three boys, if you ain't going to try to fix it, just shut up because you like yep. everybody else. Yep. So I said, I'm going to go about fixing it. You know, and the name to me is like the best story, right? I like, I... It, I really believe God just gave it to me. I like woke up and believe it, believe it or not, Dan, I had the acronym before I had the name. Come on. <laughs> I, up. I had the acronym before I had the name. I just woke up and my wife had to hear this for months. And months, <laughs> months right? it was like, shut up head. already. <laughs> right. Like, it was in my head for almost two, two years. And my, my buddy, who's the vice president, um, Dr. Sam Galloway, you know, um, he, so he's uh, also my wife. He's the one I confided in the most around this. Yeah. And, you know, he's been right there with me. So once we got it started, we just looked at each other like, wow, like this really kicked off. But black, B-L-A-C, no K. And it's funny because I don't wear the paraphernalia. You know, I've been to Dubai and in Europe. I've been, you know, I travel. So people have seen the shirt and they're like, and they like the logo because they look at, you know, I had it designed. Yeah. I do everything intentionally. So they see the arrow that's, you know, superimposed inside the A, you know, give you that positive movement up. Yep. And they're like, yo, I like that. I go on Home Depot and a little black kid will see me, see any stocking shelves, like, yo, I like that shirt, man. <laughs> then I have people say, yo, you forgot the K. And I'm like, no, I didn't. No, nope. <laughs> you know, intentional. So 
<laughs> and 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 I said when God gave me that black, and then I had to fill in the letters. You know, um, I I knew. I said, here's why I want this because the first time an admin exec has to tell the boss, you know, superintendent, the commissioner, whoever they talk to, governor, I don't care. He's like, who's on my agenda today? Uh, you're meeting with black. <laughs> and I've literally heard people say that. <laughs> black is, is did, I, did I say that right? Black? <laughs> so, you know, and I think we're just getting started. Like yep. my plan is, you know, like pinky in the brain, man. Like we're gonna take over the world. So I look at it as, you know, its root is in education, but I don't see it stopping there. Cause I do have some college faculty people, you know, who have joined. Um, non-educators, you know, like school business managers, finance yep. people. Um, so I see it as like a, a career um, version of the NAACP or the Urban League or something like, like So it should just spread. I don't need to replace anything that's happening in other states, yep. but I need our folks to understand that there's power in unity for real. Yes. Right? And this, you know, I'm a, I'm a history buff. This goes back to, you know, the history in Western Africa and people need to understand, don't just say all the cute names, you know, Umoja, Kujichakalia, you know, like, no, no, no. I don't, don't say stuff that you're really not going to learn what it means and then put it into action. Yeah. So when we unify and we're confident in ourselves, I believe that, you know, white America takes notice. And some people are going to act like they're offended and scared, but, you know, that's more about them. Yep. And I don't really have a problem with that. But the folks who know, they go, you know, I learned working at high school, let me, put it, let me back up. At high school, I worked with all those uh, wealthy corporations. And, you know, they, they showed me nothing but love and respect as my, you know, the board members. Yep. And I learned from them, right? Everybody got their hand out. But they got a lot more respect for somebody who handles their business first. Yeah. So I told my organization, we're gonna raise money. We ain't gonna, we're not gonna have dudes that look like we join in, you know, the Cub Scouts. <laughs> so we're administrators. And I know y'all all make six figures. Cause I hire all you know, I know, <laughs> I know what y'all mean. So we're gonna have some real, you know, membership dudes. Yeah. And I was, I knew it was gonna take off. When, you know, I said the first year alone, like people who really have faith and believe in this vision, even though it's not all clear, right? Operating in that obscurity. Yes. That's a different level of leadership. You know, founding member, lifetime, one time, $2,000, boom. I figured it'd be about four people and two of them would be me and my wife. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Dan, I was overwhelmed how many people came up to me with the credit card, checkbook. It was like, yo, I, I want to do that. I believe in this right here. Yeah. And they may never see the fullest benefits of it because you know how organizations have to grow. And what I've had to tell a number of people many times is that how many people were at the first NAACP meeting? They'd be like, I don't know. I go, exactly. Yeah. Because you've never been at the beginning of something, right? The, the, the black fraternities and sororities, right? We have a number of members who belong to them, including my wife. I'm like, y'all know who originally started your sororities, right? The history's big, but you wasn't at the first meeting. Yeah. Right? So nothing starts off the way it looks later on. Correct. And I said, part of me telling them about the dream and the vision was, how many times in your life can you ever say, I was a part of something from its inception? 
not very often. And most of the times people, it, it takes a level of courage <laughs> to, to take that step or take that dive into it. Because like, as we touched on kind of throughout that risk is there, that uncertainty, that ambiguity, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, a lot of people shy away from that. Right. Regular membership is 250. <laughs> but, <Yep. laughs> you know, but I, but I tell people they've seen it, right? So they've seen us move into um, spheres where we were, we were never, yep. never like hundred, 200 years of the town exists. We were never. And now like, you know, we're hitting cabinet level positions in other districts, predominantly white. Like they would have never considered a person of color. Yeah. You know, people say, how can you say that? Well, you didn't do it the last 200 years. So well, which I, year were you yeah. going to start? Look at the stats. Yeah. Right. The and you mentioned it earlier, the, the systemic issue. Well, why, why can't a black teacher or why, you know, teach in a, a, a district that's predominantly white? Like that's, it's not because of a skill set or a lack of skills. It's because of some issue that it, it's comfortable for people. Right. To right. say, ah, no, you're not a good fit. Yeah, but you're correct. Like you said, I was black six weeks ago. <laughs> right. What changed between now and then? Right. You you shouldn't have brought. I didn't lose my education. Right. Nope. So <laughs> in, even this this whole, um, you know, I've been on the forefront. I testify at the state house, and I'm I'm working with CERC in development of, and I appreciate them even asking me to be a part of it. You know, looking at the curriculum for the African American studies programs that's now going to be mandatory in the schools, and yep. the Latino studies programs going to be mandatory in the schools. Love it. Absolutely yep. love it. Right. But we know we got districts that are going to be like, we don't have any of those kids in our school. Why we got to teach this? Right. Oh man. So we it's might... just so much that you have to do. And you know, like I tell the members of black, yes, the, the key is about us moving our careers through the organization, you know, using an organization to help us move our careers. But the other thing I learned from that woman again, Gail Hill, um, <laughs> you, you you get blessed to be a blessing to others, yep. right? So one of the things I appreciate is that, you know, I, I said to the members back during the pandemic when it was really jumping off, I said, I want to be able to do something for the communities, right? Like, you know, we're, we're an organization, even though we're new, we're probably financially more secure than many that have been around seriously like 20, 30, 40 years because yep. of people with that, that faith and the, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you have people depositing money at that level. You you can you put they some numbers. They up. believe in the yep. They believe yeah. in it. So we just one small gesture, right? Just trying to so how can we help? We got people doing computers and all that. But you know, in the first part of this pandemic, you know, prior to the summer, we gave away five thousand dollars in Walmart gift cards. Yep. You know, fifty dollar gift cards. So you know, because people need different things, right? Yes. Like, everybody don't like that laptop's not the issue, but this mama. I don't know if she lost her job or this, you know, and it's only 50 bucks, but I wanted to touch as many families as we could. Yeah. So, you know, touch a hundred families and like, maybe they need pampers, you know, and I got a picture from one um, Muslim woman who, you know, wrote, thank you, black. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was everything. That's beautiful. You know, that is beautiful. But, you know, we probably will, we will never meet, but, the organization was able to impact her family. Yep. And that's what, again, for me, leadership is about legacy. And, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, what, what the, the current occupant of the White House pushes, because, you know, that's all about him. And it's like, it's not, I'm not even speaking to political parties. Yeah. It's just about him. Yeah. I'm like, I'd much rather, I, some years ago, I took a vacation to Philadelphia 
with my daughters. You know, I was trying to replicate that national treasure thing. Oh, did. nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. And so I'm more nerd than them, though. <laughs> I didn't even know about the Ben Franklin Museum then. I went in there. And I'm in there for a few hours. They are upset because they want to get to the hotel and swim. <laughs> and one of the things that struck me, besides all the stuff that Ben Franklin actually accomplished, which I think he's been downplayed in history, he is he is way beyond some damn kite. You know? <laughs> but I saw a quote that said, basically, if I mess up a few words, forgive me. But if one would soon not be forgotten after their death, then they should either do something that people will feel is worthy of writing about, or they should write something that people will feel is worthy reading about. Huh. That just struck me, like yep. in his museum on the wall. And I just stood there, like, and you know, I'm like, that that's legacy. Legacy. That's that that became my word even more than it had been. Legacy. Like, I know I'm not gonna get the accolades for everything while I'm living. And that's cool. But if every person I encounter, right, and I touch their life, and then I always tell people, like, I hooked you up, you better hook somebody else up. That's right. And then they go hook somebody else up, right? When, when I walk away from this and do something else, or when I'm gone, you know, I can't see the people at the funeral, but I know from what I'm doing while I'm living, it should be a lot of people, and they should be impacted and feel compelled to continue what I did. Yeah. That's that's legacy. Yeah. That's that's real leadership. It's not just a person with the nameplate or the biggest salary, you know. Nope. It's the person who is willing to put himself or herself out there, stand out in front of your organization, face the dangers first, right? See the vision of where we can be. Yeah. Right? And and the person who never ever gets comfortable with where we are. That's um, when we teach leadership to students and we'll, you know, looking at a high school group, we'll talk about level one leadership is the ability to self-coach through challenge and adversity. Level two is to kind of do the same thing, but you're leading other people through that challenge and adversity. And the third level that's always forgotten about, hey, you're a high school senior. What are you going to leave that building and that community when you move on to college or the workforce or you know, et cetera. You can go down the list. And I, one of the things I loved about, uh, you know, as I looked on the website and hearing you talk about it is there's not a lot of black teachers. There's not a lot of black administrators or superintendents. Okay. We're creating this network. That's going to lead to more opportunities. And when there's more opportunities in the administrative position, you might have a young black male or female who says, wow, Dr. Hill's in an administrative spot. And he started it, you know, in education and you know, I can aspire to do that. And then now you have more black teachers, that's, which that's, you hit the students now saying, oh man, I had Mr. Hill when he was Mr. Hill, not Dr. Hill. And he was a great teacher. And our, um, our skin's the same color. Maybe I can do that. And yeah. it, it just has this ripple effect that's going to last far beyond any of our time on earth. And, you know, when you talk about leadership, doing something positive that has a lasting impact not for you, not for those, those in direct contact with you regularly now, but those people that you're never going to meet, that you're never, right. you know, you, you won't get a thank you card, you know, 50 years from now, but what you're doing is having a positive impact and it's going to turn the tides. And, and what, as I was diving into it, and again, hearing you, you speak about it was just, you know, if you could sum up leadership, boom, <laughs> you, you nailed it. So, 
that's you know i it's it's my love you know um my my dis my uh, doctorate is in ed policy and leadership but the leadership piece i tell people they say well, what were your studies leadership because everything rises and falls on leadership mm -hmm. and and i i don't i don't know that we really had that down pat in in education we use the term a lot but i think this pandemic has exposed a lot too yeah right so I, I, I say all the time, I think the pandemic exposed that we got a lot of managers, right? <laughs> you know, people want to say, well, I'm an instructional leader. You're, so what are you doing different than what was done 25, 30 years ago? Yeah. Right? Because nothing should be the same. You should never be satisfied. If any of our students are not doing well, what are you doing to figure out what needs to be changed, right? If my staff is not happy beyond their own personal problems, Right. Yep. I can't, like there's some people I told my staff when I was a principal, I, I can't help you with your happiness, right? So that part, you, you have to do that. But in your job, right, if I can make coming to work for you an enjoyable experience, right, how much better are you going to teach if you feel more fulfilled at work? Yep. Right? And I do believe that's a leader's job. I don't think that we talk about leadership in, in like that in those realms. We, we relegate it to churches and places of worship and spiritual houses and yoga, you know, places. But no, it's, it's everywhere. And even when I'm tired, on my birthday this past Sunday, you know, uh, one of my members uh, sent me a text saying, you know, I need your guidance and direction on something. And I was like on the couch sinking into the leather. You know, <laughs> And you know, I can joke with this person. I said, damn, I gotta I gotta help even on my birthday. All right, what do you need? And she texts back, oh my gosh, happy birthday. Don't worry <laughs> about it. We'll talk this week. I'm like, what do you need? She's like, nope, nope, nope. Because but she knows I mean that. Like, yep. I, don't, I don't care it's my birthday. Like, I thank God that I'm living, but you put me here to help people. Yep. And so if she needs help, you know, I don't I don't think we get the schedule when we need help. No, you it's know, 24 seven. Right. You, <laughs> somebody needs help. You give it to him again. That's, that's the legacy. Like when I needed him, he was there. And, mm -hmm. and even with my organization, you know, I tell people, I'm like, I got a litany of white folks who will tell you, I don't care what you say about Terrell. He's helped me. Yeah. When I need him, he's there for me. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't, you know, discriminate on who I help. Like you need help and I can help you. I'm going to. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do is is return the favor by doing it for someone else. Yep. So, you know, but I, I do hope my organization, you know, grows and builds that legacy out there. Um, I hope the people listening to the podcast understand that it's, it's you know, it's not a discriminating thing, right? I do have, you know, a couple of white members right now, and I'm sure more will join. I don't yep. stop anybody, but they understand what the focus of the organization is, right? Um, and... I'm like, this is, if it wasn't needed, it wouldn't have been done. Yep, correct. You know, I did have somebody write some anonymous, you know, people love writing anonymous things, right? So um, when we announced it, uh, CABE, the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education, like Bob Rader, the executive director, he was really excited, right, and supportive. He said, hey, Terrell, I'll put your announcement like right on the front page of our CABE, you know, journal. Yeah, I was like, yo, I appreciate that. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when we first, like, September 2018, the first meeting was coming up, right? 
So he did it, I think, in August, and somebody photocopied that announcement, you know, new organization for black leaders, da, 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 da. and they said, I thought we were past this. Isn't this discrimination? Aren't we just oh, separated God. instead of trying to get together? Of course, they wrote no name. You know, no, they have their internet muscles. Yeah, so I, I just, I put that on as my last slide when I gave people all the information about what black was going to be. And Bob was like, why would you do that? I was like, because I need them to show that this is really more powerful than they even could imagine. Because yep. if it wasn't, no one would have took the time to do that. Correct. So Correct. That's a motivator, right? Like you think we're separating, we're not. But you can't explain to me why we got 169 towns and I can put up one hand and leave space for superintendents of color. Yep. Yep. So 164 of y'all that's much smarter. You know, and I always say, I know some of y'all. <laughs> Come on, man! I ain't, smarter, I ain't smarter than everybody, but I know I'm smarter than you, right? <laughs> it's um, it 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 is noticeable to me. There's a, a a school counselor, and I'm not sure of her formal name, but at a school that I work with, that it's predominantly in uh, uh, a, a very diverse school. Not it's it's predominantly Black, Hispanic. Um, I've worked with them for probably eight or nine years now through, you know, with Empower. We had a great conversation this spring as, um, you know, obviously we see on, on social immediately the, the, these, these tragedies and this, um, you know, the, the brutality of police officers and, you know, and that stuff pops up and she, she point blank said to me, and then she's a white woman said, you know, the tough thing is, is, our, our school is comprised of students of, of color and we, we don't really have any leaders in the building of color and that's a problem. And to hear someone say that and to see that you're doing something about it is phenomenal and it validates all the positive things I think about you anyway to begin with. But um, mm -hmm. if there's anything Empower can do or I can do personally to, to help or add some, some adventure fun, you know where to find me. How can people uh, find out about uh, Black, Dr. Hill? So they, they can definitely um, go on the website and, you know, uh, look us up. So obviously www.blackleaders.org. Um, and you get all the information you want right there, all the contact info. Um, remember, B-L-A-C. Don't leave don't, the K. Don't add the K. Don't <laughs> Don't add the K, B-L-A-C. Um, and right now, I know, like, it's obviously been, you know, I don't know what you call all that in the internet. I'm at the, like I said, I'm at the website, internet, Google, <laughs> but Black Leaders, B-L-A-C-L-E-A-D-E-R-S, alone will get you right in Google. It'll come up. Yep. yep. Black Leaders. So it's, it's, been, it's definitely caught the attention of folks. And, you know, we, we'd love for you to check us out. Um, and we're trying to support folks. You know, yep. I'm not, again, we're not here to discriminate. Um, you, you'll see the mission. You know what it's about. I, I want to see us move. Um, we're looking to move into greater political circles, right? Because yep. I sit on all the committees across the state. You know, we want to diversify the teacher workforce. I have no problem with that. But you caught on to it just like that. Uh, how is that likely to happen faster? Yep. Are you just saying that's what you want to do to each district? Or are you making sure there are more leaders of color. Yeah. Because people hire who they hire. We know that. Let's just be real. Yes. So, you know, I tell them all the time, if you want to increase that, then, you know, hire more leaders of color because yep. they're not going to have a heart. They're not going to be encouraged to do it. doesn't mean 
everybody that hired gonna be black. So when I hear people say that, I'm like, do you even think there's that many black school of ed students in the whole state? <laughs> like, sorry, you ain't gonna find that many. You know, Windsor, we just crossed over uh, 20%, right? Since I've been there yep. six years, I'm thrilled. Cause it's like, we've increased over 7% since I've been there. That's and unbelievable. That's not like much, but the state is only at 9% after so many decades. Yep. Um, you know, but it's cause it's, it's intentional. Yeah. You don't have to discriminate. Like now I don't even have to really, you know, my administrators, we don't have to really like beg people to come to Windsor. They, they apply. And when I interview them, I'm the last interview and I offer a job or I don't. And I'll say, well, you know, why don't you show Windsor? Inevitably I hear, cause I hear about the great things you guys are doing, you know, white, black, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian, it doesn't matter. I'll say the equity work you're doing. Right. So, yep. I always tell them I get my down young white students, they come in, like every generation is not trying to hate each other. Yep. Like we teach that part. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So, and I recognize that from the work I've been doing around equity work for yet, you know, for a long time. So I get, you know, my white students come in or, you know, white teachers young, they're ready to learn. Yep. They, they've traveled over, overseas, done exchange semesters. And I asked them when I see that, like, so what did you learn from that? And they, they learned that, you know, that everybody's different and unique, but we all have some similarities. Yeah. yeah. There you go. If you carry that with you, it's the same thing as being uncomfortable, right? You'll be okay in class. Like, just because, you know, Tyrone's sitting there picking his hair or this girl is sitting here taking off all her rings, lotion in her hands so she won't be ashy, you'll learn what ashy means, right? <laughs> so, right? Why do black girls don't want to go swimming? <laughs> Uh, as a former PE teacher, I can 100% attest no, that, right? is, that is valid across the board. Man, You're throwing bonus points left and right. Like, come on, just so you can pass the damn class. You're like, yo, this? <laughs> I paid for this here. <laughs> my, so, honest to God, my last teacher died. We're on the home stretch here. I know okay. and it's been a long day, long night. I appreciate you doing this, Dr. Hill. My last teaching job prior to help joining Empower, joining Joe Durang, our founder, and helping to get them going, I'm, uh, I'm in my second year, and I, I have an adventure ed background in PE as well, and I present a, a proposal for a two-week or three-week unit uh, to do team building to start the year, because I have, uh, up in Springfield, we were a new school, and we had kids coming from all these different middle schools who didn't know each other, different neighborhoods. Springfield has pockets where gang violence, drug violence, all this stuff going on. So I'm like, what better way to start the year? Get these kids to make some connections, build some relationships, build some trust, working together. PE class is perfect for it. Pass it up to the, the, the coordinator to review it. Yeah, you can do a couple days maybe, but then you have to get back in the swimming pool and get back on the schedule. I'm like, you're out of your freaking mind. Like, Teaching swimming is a, 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 a low, low, low on the totem pole versus teaching these skills that will help the kids in the classroom, help the kids at home when they're in the neighborhoods, but nope, get back in the swimming pool. And that, that to be honest with you, put me off and got me looking. That's, your, then, that's your instructional leader, right? Yep. Like, stay in the box. Yep. That's, that's, that's a manager, right? Yep. Managers know at 6 a.m. we turn the lights on. At 5.30 p.m., we turn the lights off. Yep. And we show they, up here, here, and here at yeah, these times, they, they and that's it. Yep. They don't think, what if we turn the lights on at 6.08? <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> so, like that's 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 like the leadership piece that you know I, I teach. I teach uh, adjunct at UConn in the in the uh, UCAT program, and so people were trying to become school leaders. And you know, I've been told that's why they all like my class because I'm just telling them real stuff. And yep. I'm like, I don't want to add any more managerial duds to the ranks of leaders. Yep. So I said, I want leaders. I said, I don't, don't let me hear about you guys later on down the road. And I realized that you were one of my students and I hear that you are managing. <laughs> I will find you and I will say something. Yep. And at the end of my classes, they do, they go, we believe you really will do that. Right? <laughs> I, I, I just, I, cause, cause those, again, what I said right at the start of this, and I'll, I'll say again, everything rises and falls on leadership. Yeah. Look at, Look at the vibe in our nation right now. Oh, dude. Like, even the people that hated Obama, right? And there was more race behind that than anything. Yeah. But even the ones that hated him, they didn't feel tense about our country. And it's straight tension now. It's tension. Like, it is like, a knotted up back right now. Like, And tell, and tell me, you know, um, people aren't afraid about November 3rd. And the oh. 4th. Yeah, yep. <laughs> we don't know what's gonna happen, right? Yo, they're gonna be shooting, going like what's I heard some people talking about the purge. It's like what? <sighs> it's crazy. It's utterly crazy. You know, and this guy just stokes it. Yeah, you know, like every action is to do it to do just that. It's another piece of lumber on the fire. It's it's freaking scary. For for a person who himself, right? And I'm speaking as a veteran, like you ran from military service. Yeah. You lied. You use your power to get out of military service. Power and privilege, man. That's it was I, a I don't understand how veterans would be jumping all over that one, but okay, that's what you want to do. That's fine. Yeah. So, you know, and you act like the tough guy, punch him in the face. You ain't no tough dude. No. You know what I'm saying? So like I expected I didn't expect him to win, but I expected, you know, once you take the office, right, you figure even a clown know when it's time to stop telling jokes. Kind of fine tune it, right? Dial it in a little bit. You yeah, think. Like, you're going to be you. You ain't the dude I voted for, but you, like, you're going to respect the office, right? No, nope. I'm the president. Too much credit. So I got to do. Credit. Yeah, I was, I was stupid. But I'm like, you, like, I would figure, like, you get the right people around you, right? Smart leader gets people who fill in the gaps. Yeah. And they go, here, sir, this is what you need. I can't even. I don't even try to keep up with his, his cabinet. Oh man, that's that that that's that that cabinet has the turnover of a seasonal job. <laughs> right. Yo, it's like a camp counselor, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, you're fired. Like he yep. think he's doing a TV show. Yep. No, that and, ended a long time ago. Goodness sake. Um, and, but we got. I'm I'm hoping for better things, right? We got better people, and on both sides of the aisle. I feel bad that you know a lot of the Republicans have for some reason or another become um, intimidated to not speak up. Cause yeah. I can't, I can't and I refuse to believe that all of Congress Republicans in the Agreed. Senate feel like him. Yes, no, I, they I don't. just can't, yeah. but, but somehow that fear has been instilled. Well, and if you want to, I mean, when you want to teach both, like what bullying looks like, sounds like, feels like and the repercussions of it to young ones, there you go. There you go, right? <laughs> right from straight from the top. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, ladies and gents, this is Dr. Terrell Hill. 
Windsor Public Schools. I made the mistake once of adding a South in front of Windsor. I'll never do it again. He's the assistant superintendent of human resources, veteran in the United States Army, founder and president of Black Inc., just doing things uh, the opposite of president, doing things that are uplifting and, and, and bringing people together for good, for good stuff, not the negative stuff. We're on the final home stretch. A few quick hitters here. Leadership means? Being out front, taking a risk, and making a way for those following you. Beautiful. Uh, you mentioned your mother 77 times during the episode, so you lived up to that quota as well. If she listens, she'll be, you know, she'll be happy to hear it. Besides mom, childhood inspiration or role model, and why? Um, well, I had one teacher, and I, I had a number of teachers, so I know I don't want to like, offend everybody. But one teacher in particular in high school, Ms. Rita Astorino, um, I always think about her. She was a science teacher, and... She encouraged me to take her chemistry class. I remember it. she caught me in the hallway and she says, why don't you take my class? I said, oh, like that's for next year. I'm already taking all the top classes for this year. And she said, you know, she was the person who would challenge you. Yeah. She says, you're just going to be one of those good little followers. For me, that's like triple dog day. <laughs> so, you know, she probably wouldn't even remember that, but I remember that. And I took her class and, um, you know, she was sarcastic and everything. I loved her. Yeah. Rita Astorino. Love it. And I'm just like, so she's, she's driven me. In the administrative ranks, the principal of the high school at the time at Commerce, uh, Mr. Gene F. Basili. Okay. He was the ultimate role model to me for, you know, a leader. Like yeah. He just looked the part and he carried himself like that. I don't know if I've ever seen a hair out of place or him raise his voice, that man was just always just, just cold with it. Dialed in. There's so many other people, but this is like who I, who I thought of, you know, first. And okay. Um, current, someone or something that inspires you currently? So I, I, I mentioned, you know, so should I mention mom for 78 times? Let me start. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, let's try to hit 80. <laughs> Dr. Carlton Pickron. Um, yep. Former vice president at Westfield State University is, is a mentor of mine. And, you know, he, he always inspires me and keeps me going. Um, and quite honestly, you know, um, and I didn't even really feel that way when he was in office as much. I loved him. But more so now, um, our former president, Barack Obama. Yeah. You know, and not just for being a black male, but understanding what it's like to lead in uncomfortable places. Yeah. I'll just leave that there. Yep. Well said. No need to add anything more to it. Um, an inspirational message from you to the students and teachers in the state of Connecticut or Windsor specifically that are going through this new version of uh, hopefully a one-year limited edition version of what school is like. <laughs> um, so know and, and feel some level of comfort in the fact that we're all going through it together. Yep. That your leaders in your respective districts, they don't want to see any harm come to you or any of the students nor themselves. Yep. And that once we get past this, there is never going to be the normal that we yep. were used to. So if you take that out of your mind now, I think dealing with this pandemic and all that it brings will be that much easier for you. And you will see yourself as a stronger, 
and more resilient individual on the other side of this. Yeah. Great. Last and final question. When, when does your podcast begin? Yeah. Uh, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. I waited till the last possible moment. You caught me off guard. I I forgot. (laughs) I've been procrastinating folks. And yeah, I gotta, I gotta get that going. I said to, um, my good friend that I want to do uh, the podcast with, Ms. Joelle Murchison, that I said, we got to get one episode out before September's over. So I'm going to do my best, but you are going to be notified as soon as we launch it. And I promise you, we are not going past Indigenous People's Day. <laughs> hey, I'm in. Sign me up. I've already said it to you a couple times. And- Life love and leadership life love and leadership i had the l's mixed up life love and leadership coming to a podcast platform near you at some point at some hold point hold me to it put the pressure Damn. on me, people. I, let's, the it's, pressure I, it's, on it's official now it's signed sealed and delivered now it's out for public <laughs> consumption baby some some point before september's over at the latest before indigenous people day dr it's hill best show but we're gonna get it out so nobody hey, can bother me that's uh you got to start somewhere man you know what i mean (laughs) thanks a lot dan listen yeah thank you dr hill it's an absolute pleasure anytime i get to spend a couple minutes with you whether it's a couple minutes or you know an hour and a half it's it's inspiring and it's it's awesome to hear and see what you're doing and i know there's nothing but great things ahead for you guys and uh you know you know just not not just at windsor schools but uh with with black ink and um keep on fighting keep on crushing it and uh, the, the great things will come, whether you're around to see them or not, they will, they will come because of the effort and the, the foundation you're laying right now. A true inspiration, my friend. Thank you very much, sir. You're very welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Terrell Hill. He leads with Empower. Absolute grand slam home run. Be safe. Take the advice of Dr. Hill. Do something for somebody else. We'll catch you next week on the Lead with Empower podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.